0: but I love your law. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. Away from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commands of my God. Sustain me, my God, according to your promise, and I will live. Do not let my hopes be dashed. Uphold me, and I will be delivered. I will always have regard for your decrees. You reject all who stray from your decrees, for their delusions come to nothing. All the wicked of the earth you shall, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your statutes. My flesh trembles in fear of you. I stand in awe of your laws.
1: Good deal. Okay. So, uh, sorry, I did not push the Bible study button when we started. That was my fault, and uh, it took us a second to, took me a second to realize, but hopefully the sound and everything is okay now and um, uh, Jim is gone we've got Don filling in there and uh, I guess we, Jim. yeah he, <laughs> and it's it's must be boys night out cuz there's just four boys here today all the ladies decided uh, to go somewhere else I guess maybe to uh, watch uh, what, what's the movie Sound of Freedom or something maybe they're having a big uh, uh, gathering at the Sound of Freedom okay let's read today is um, 13 July Uh, He was regarded by the class-conscious English missionaries as inferior in background and education. Oh boy, they got the wrong guy there. Hudson Taylor arrived in China as a missionary in 1854 at the age of 21. Son of a pharmacist in Yorkshire, he was regarded by the class-conscious English missionaries as inferior in background and education. To make matters worse, Hudson chose to adopt Chinese dress. In 1857 Taylor came to the city of Ningpo where the Anglican American Baptist and American Presbyterian missions had separate compounds into this society of precious I'm, society of precisely graded ranks of seniority and social background came Hudson Taylor short of stature with his native dress and Chinese pigtail once a week, Miss Aldersey, the first woman missionary to China, hosted a meal for all the missionaries of Ningpo, including Hudson. Miss Aldersey had a rigid sense of what was proper and ruled her two young assistants, Bruella and Maria Dyer, with an iron hand. The Dyer sisters had an uncle in England who was their closest relative since their missionary parents were deceased. Barella was engaged to a missionary in Shanghai and Maria was, as Hudson described in a letter home, a good-looking girl with a squint. She was reported to be the second-best Chinese-speaking missionary in the city and was completely dedicated to her work, having already turned down two marriage proposals. After meeting Hudson, Maria wrote to her brother in London, I met a gentleman and I cannot say I loved him at once, but I felt interested in him and could not forget him. I saw him from time to time, and still the interest continued. I had no good reason to think it was reciprocated. Hudson had similar feelings, but told no one. Finally, in March of 1858, he wrote to Maria, expressing his love for her and proposing marriage. Before opening the letter, Maria prayed over it, hoping it was from Hudson. The next morning, Maria went to tell Miss Aldersey the good news. To Miss Aldersey, however, this was not good news. She ranted that young, poor, unconnected nobody, he is not a gentleman, he is without education, without position, he is short, you are tall, and he wears Chinese clothes. Miss Aldersey then dictated a letter for Maria to write to Hudson, undiplomatically refusing his proposal. Maria was heartbroken, but incapable of crossing Miss Aldersey. When Hudson received her reply, he suspected that Miss Aldercy was behind it. On July 13, 1857, Hudson went to meet personally with Miss Aldercy and learned that she had dictated the letter. He also discovered that the uncle, not Miss Aldercy, was Maria's legal guardian. Miss Aldercy reported that she had written Maria's uncle describing the scandalous situation. Maria wrote to her uncle explaining her side. Hudson knew that he had to get Maria's permission to write her uncle asking for her hand. Later that month, the opportunity came. During a ladies' prayer meeting at the missionary home where Hudson lived, a waterspout from a tornado swept in from the sea and flooded the streets. As a result, some of the coolies were late in bringing the sedan chairs to the ladies' home. When Miss Hudson returned, Maria was still there. Hudson had the man of the house ask Maria for permission to meet with her. As they met and shook hands in greeting, they knew their love was mutual. And Maria gave Hudson permission to write her uncle asking for her hand in marriage. Finally, in December, Hudson received a note from Maria saying that her uncle had given permission for her to marry as soon as she was 21. Hudson and Maria were married on January 20th, 1858, four days after her 21st birthday. Maria went on to play a crucial role in shaping the ministry of the Yorkshire lad, Who is to change forever the way missionaries work therefore surviving children all became missionaries to china the most important decision in life after choosing to become a christian is whether to marry to remain single or to be married how should we decide whether to marry and whom to marry to what extent should we regard the counsel of others well certainly don't take miss aldersey's counsel okay uh colossians 3 15 let the peace that comes from christ rule in your hearts that was wonderful i liked reading that um yeah you want to hear about somebody that changed the world hudson taylor was the guy they sure pegged him wrong okay we got a couple of uh prayer requests here let's see pete who we prayed for uh before and then his eye surgery was canceled and we prayed for him sunday and uh he uh was able to have his eye surgery and i got an email for him that everything went well he's very appreciative for that um let's see here um uh, tom uh is in a lot of pain his knee is really bothering him but at least he's over the the hump he's starting to get where the pain is manageable now so keep tom in prayer there um i had uh somebody walk in today and talk about the sound of freedom and then i also had a uh, uh, person email me about the Sound of Freedom. They highly recommend it. Um, uh, two friends that uh, attend online, this is for the church, and I'll let the church know on Sunday, they said they would pay for the church to go if they wanted to. So I, they can't do it for everybody online because that would break their bank, but uh, for the folks that have not seen it in the church, they would be willing to pay for that. So um, uh, keep that in mind. And uh, John Burke's son was sleeping the last time Burke saw him, so he uh, He worked four hours today, and he's uh, still going through his uh, cancer treatment, so keep him in prayer. Claudia is having miserable head pains, so we wanna keep her in prayer. She was supposed to call me yesterday, and she never did, so um, I haven't heard from her today, so I'm not sure what's up, but uh, keep Claudia in prayer. And then Ken, the uh, 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 music on Sunday. Uh, He's not here because he has a bladder infection. I haven't responded to his email, because if I do, then I'll forget to uh, respond to him. Anyway, I, I, he gave me the stuff for the uh, church stuff. But if I—anyway, uh, I, I, I need to keep emails unmarked until I can respond properly, because if I don't, then— but anyway, keep Ken in prayer as well. So those are some of the prayer requests this week, and uh, we'll go, go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father we thank you for the chance to meet and to share in this precious word of yours and we're very grateful to you for the people that are doing better we lift up the people that need continued prayer we uh, certainly uh, pray for them and ask that you would give them relief and if it's uh, not your will that uh, they would understand why they're going through these afflictions and that they would be able to even praise you during the difficult times and uh lord we uh uh, pray for the sound of freedom, that it would continue to be a movie that would help people to understand what is going on in the world and to maybe change people's attitudes about uh, the direction the nation and the hearts of the people of this nation are going. And uh, we pray for this class, Lord, that it would be handled properly and that uh, it would be, uh, the doctrine would be sound in your eyes. And if it's not, please let us know what is incorrect so that we can uh, correct it according to your wisdom and your glory we pray this in jesus name amen okay before we get into the first verse i need to read and i'll read this again on sunday but uh just in case people uh uh uh, you know on the bible study don't attend sunday or vice versa i'd like to read both of them um dear brother charlie and brother daniel we are glad to share we are praying and scheduled to do a jesus film meeting on 25 july they gave all the price of the things that they need. And before I even was able to tell the church, somebody stepped in and paid all of it. So, um, and that leaves money that was given to me for last month, for this month, to wait for next month. So we're a little bit ahead and that's I'm very glad about that. We've had great success with that. Um, along with that, I got a letter from one of the people uh, that uh, was converted through this ministry and I'd like to read it to you. Dear brother and uh, Charlie and brother Daniel, Greetings in the name of Jesus. I am happy to share a testimony from a couple that came to accept Jesus through the Jesus film meeting. And they said, Dear Pastor Charlie and Pastor Daniel, I want to send my greetings to you in the name of Jesus. My wife and I uh, am feeling happiness to share our story, how God led both of us to accepting him. We used to worship Hindu gods and made them always happy by offering our gifts and worshiping them every week. Hindu priests always frighted us. If we don't please the gods, they will bring a curse on us. We were always afraid of the gods. We also offered money and gifts to this Hindu priest in the temple who always demanded us. Although we did not find any happiness in our lives, even we got more difficulties in this life. Last month, one of our neighbors invited us to attend the video meeting, and we just went to attend it as guests, not knowing much about Jesus. We also were not interested to learn about Jesus. They couldn't have cared. They probably heard that he's serving food, and so they went. I'm just guessing that. I don't know that. But after watching this video, we found something was pushing us inside of us to realize God's love. It was a heart-touching story that we ever found. We became more strengthened by knowing that Jesus died on the cross and God loves us. He does not frighten us. At the end of this film, we came to realize the great need of Jesus in our lives. We accepted Jesus in our lives and prayed to God for Thanksgiving. And they gave their name, and you can look at the family there. That's the two of them, which I don't want to put on the uh, internet, but wonderful looking family with a little baby. Very happy news, so I'll try to remember to get that. My hair is standing up all over my arms because of the wonderful news. So uh, just, you know, the ministry is having an effect. And it's uh, people are being changed because of it. And he makes sure he follows up with these people and gives them Bibles. He gives them MP3s if they want them. And uh, I'm so happy he does this. But this month is paid for. And I'm so grateful about that. Uh, Pakistan
0: is one of the the most dangerous Great
1: persecutors. That's right. I
0: mean, it is is very high on the list.
1: Very high on the list. And you know what? This guy here could get in trouble because they're not going to be giving the Hindu priest any money anymore. And, you know, he demands this money. He says God's going to curse you if you don't give us money and pray to these idols. And now they're not going to be doing that. And so that could get them in trouble. Just, you know, we don't know. We have no idea. But there you go. Okay, we are in um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6 today. And he's reading which one, NIV or NASB? NIV. NIV, okay. Do you want me to
0: start from 1?
1: All right, wherever you want. The Lord,
0: chapter 5. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the day. Verse 6. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober.
1: Okay, this one says the same thing, just in reverse. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So they did the old uh, change-up. What do you call it? The non-plagiarism change-up. Okay, the word therefore. Is given as a summary of what has been said concerning the words. uh, I'm glad you read verses 1 through 5, because the commentary says verses 1 through 5. He has spoken of the times and seasons, which includes the day of the Lord, and which will come as a thief in the night. He has said that those who are of the night will find that sudden destruction will come upon them. He has said that because we are not of the night, but rather sons of light and sons of the day, that this day will not overtake us as a thief. Everything there that he has said in the first five verses points to what? A pre-tribulation rapture. Everything. Everything that he has said points very clearly to a pre-tribulation rapture. Okay, somebody emailed me this morning. I might as well get this right now because we're talking about the rapture and it, it pertains to this commentary as um, I was asked about John 14 where Jesus says, "I'm going to prepare a place for you and if I go to prepare a place for you, um, hey, go ahead, Burke. I will yeah, I will return and
0: you shall be with me
1: where I am well, that's right. Okay, thank you. I, I got myself, I, I should have had it open in front of me, but um, uh, she said that she heard either a preacher or a teacher or something. Uh, and she's heard this before. And she came to me and she said, is this correct? Um, uh, they are saying that that is the first note in the New Testament of the rapture. And how do we know that that's not the first note of the rapture? Or am I wrong? Is it is it the first note of the rapture? John 14, I go prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will return well, and bring you self. John
0: wrote and Paul's the one that brought the rapture. That's
1: exactly right. That's the first clue that tells you that Jesus is not speaking of the rapture. But secondly, not that's correct. That is the, the main point. I would have made that the second point, just to bring in a lesser point first and then surprise people at the main point. You got to the surprise right away. <laughs> the first thing is that Jesus doesn't say anything about timing. He doesn't say anything about the event itself. He just is making a general statement. He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Well, There's nothing about a rapture in that. There's no hint of a rapture. It could be at the end of days at the resurrection that, uh, what was it, uh, Martha and Mary, you know, at the tomb of Jesus and Lord, I know we will rise again on the last day. We have no idea. There's no reference in Jesus' words at all about a rapture. It's just a general statement making a proclamation. I am doing something for you and I will come and I will have you where I am. And All that is telling us is it's the fulfillment of what was lost all the way back in the Garden of Eden. He is going to give us something where fellowship is once again intimate with God, just like it was in the Garden. But secondly, and as Burke rightly deduced, is that Paul is the one that introduces the rapture. Behold, I show you a mystery. Before he unveiled that mystery, there was no hint of a rapture anywhere in scripture except in Old Testament pictures which could not be deduced until we know what the New Testament says. You could say, you nobody would ever come to that conclusion. The typology in there has to be understood first or or, or the actual event has to be understood first for the typology to make any sense, okay? But Jesus, if you hear a sermon, Jesus' words of John 14, are the first verses of the rapture in the New Testament that is incorrect, okay? It has nothing to do with the rapture. It simply is a proclamation that he is doing something for us and he is going to collect us in due time without any regard to whether it's a, you know, end of days or if it's the, you know, end of the millennium or whatever, whatever. It's just a proclamation. So people really need to think these issues through, and she did, and she was spot on, but she wanted to make sure that her thoughts were correct and she was correct so with that we've got everything here so far from 5 1 through 5 5 is a note concerning a pre tribulation rapture okay this does not mean and it cannot be inferred from these words that we can know specifically when the day of the Lord is coming we can't that is the times and the seasons that Jesus spoke of in Acts 1 uh, 6 & 7 We're not going to know specifically any of those details, but we can know the reference that it is a pre-tribulation rapture. 100% we can know that. It means that we will not be ensnared by what occurs on the day of the Lord. Having a general understanding of the prophetic timeline as he has laid it out, because of this he says, therefore, (laughs) everything that I have given you up to this point, starting in verse 5, therefore. To build upon the therefore, he then says let us not sleep as others do. What this means will be further defined in the coming verses. Now he simply tells us to not sleep. It is a metaphor which doesn't so much speak of sin, but rather being careless in things pertaining to morality and spirituality. He's not speaking of the sleep that he talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, which is death. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about being asleep in your walk before the Lord, your moral walk. And he talks about this also where, Burke, I know you're going to get it. Where else does he talk in this type of uh, uh, speaking? It's in the book. of begins with E and ends with Ephesians, and it's in this chapter. Can you get it? Okay. Um, Let's see here. Ephesians 5, and we're going to go to 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. This is all the kinds of things that he was just saying in verses 1 through 5. He's repeating them from Ephesians, okay? Or actually, Ephesians would be repeating from Thessalonians, because Thessalonians was written earlier. But, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them for it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep! Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Okay? So, that's the general terminology that he's using, is to pay attention, to be awake, to not be living in a state of Uh, carelessness in your walk because the Lord is going to return. We don't know when, we cannot know when, despite all of the predictions that are out there on the internet from day to day, we cannot know when the Lord is going to return. People have been thinking that for 2,000 years and they've been wrong for 2,000 years. Eventually, time is going to meet up with the events of the redemptive calendar of the Lord and we will be taken out of here. Then it's going to be sudden, and it's going to be it, it it I can't imagine what the world is going to be like. And I'm talking about the world of people that know that they have lost these people. Where are they? Where did they go? They know that they are not there. What is that going to be like? You know, now I, I one of the things that I this was on my mind today. And I don't know how to say this without people just going ballistic because we all love our animals, but um uh people will prepare things for their animals, you know, and I'm going to take care of them. And, uh, when I'm gone, they'll be able to carry on. That's a noble thing, but you know, if you're the only one in your house or if everyone in your house is saved and it might be weeks before somebody actually goes into your house. Okay. So, um, what you need to do is just tend to your dogs like you do in life and, or cats or whatever animals you have and let the Lord deal with them they are his creatures and you know saving up a bunch of food for your animals if there's nobody to give it to the animals is not going to help them at all okay so i'm not sure uh, what the answer is on that issue but it's something that is on the hearts of a lot of people and i have seven dogs okay i'm in the projects and somebody gives me a dog and 15 minutes later that is my heart i love that animal i mean we do we love our, our animals but there's a point where you have to say what is coming is the Lord's knowledge, it is the Lord's timing, and whatever happens after that, unsaved family members, uh, you know, accidents, uh, somebody's in a car and he's taken out, there's gonna be an accident. I, we can't worry about those things. We have to let the Lord do what he is going to do, and all I know is that we are going to be so excited when that happens. I, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for the day when these events unfold and we realize what we have hoped for for 2,000 years, okay, or what, in a general sense, a lot of people do not believe even to this day in a rapture, so they're not hoping for a rapture, but that's because of their inability to properly read scripture. I'm telling you that this is a doctrine that is so carefully and minutely described in scripture that it can only mean one thing, Okay, and it can only mean one way in that one thing, which is pre-tribulation. It can't mean anything else. I feel bad for people that think they have to earn their way to heaven through a a mid or a post-tribulation rapture, but that is not what's going to happen. God is going to take you out because of his grace. Yes, you have no part in it. It is his grace based on your faith and nothing else. Okay, we'll go on. Therefore, Paul's words are not speaking here of us being aware of the times and seasons of verse one at all it is speaking of our spiritual state as we await the lord's unfolding of those set and appointed moments which are known but to him alone again as is seen in the previous verses there is nothing to suggest that we are going to be aware of the day of the rapture as a matter of fact not only is there nothing to suggest it there is the words of jesus to say that we cannot know we are not going to know. He, The Father has reserved those things to himself, and it is presumptuous, and I would say that it is sinful for us to be predicting the rapture, because it is disobedience to Jesus' own words, and it's in defiance of what Paul has later clarified for us. So, do what you want with that, but uh, if you have a rapture date prediction, please don't send it to me. Okay, I don't want to read it. I don't want to know about it. I don't care how certain it is. I've seen every certain rapture prediction for the past 20 years. I mean, this is definitive this time. It is going to happen and it hasn't happened. Okay, uh, it, trust me on this. You're not going to know. Okay, we are one day closer. We are one day closer, and that's what we need to focus on. That is what we today, Lord, you we are one day closer to being in your presence. That is it, and you know, that's true even of our death. Burke and I were talking about this before in the class you know I mean he's got a friend that is probably gonna die within the next 24 hours okay and he is one day closer to seeing Jesus the difference between him and us if the Lord doesn't come first is that he's gonna be raised first and then we're gonna be raised with him and we're gonna meet the Lord together in the clouds but we are that's a great answer we are one day closer every single day to the coming of the Lord and because Lisa's over in Australia my friend Lisa White She is now a half a day ahead of our one day ahead, okay? So whatever, she's awake and uh, we'll be going to sleep. So that was a joke. Um, Okay, let's go on. Um, uh, uh, Let's see here. Where was I? Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, The Lord has told us this. Paul has confirmed it. And so we are to be spiritually and morally awake as we await him, okay? We are not to fall into the same state of indifference, which is noted about unbelievers, Uh, noted here as the others in verse 4.13, which was just uh, the previous chapter that we're in. We want to go back to 4.13, and it said, um, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Okay, the world has no hope. When a person is dead, that person is gone. They're never going to see him again. They're never going to have the experiences with them, and that's why, you know, People are trying to make, um, uh, nowadays, uh, holographic uh, people. They're bringing people back through AI that can speak with the same voice and they can take photos of the people. That's because there's no hope. And so that's all they have is that AI-generated holographic memory, okay? We don't need to worry about that because we are not only going to have a shadow, we're actually gonna have that person again in in a way that we have never experienced before too. It's going to be so much better that what we have lost in this life, as long as they are saved believers, is going to be beyond compare. Celestial bodies. I just can't wait. I, I celestial bodies is right. Can't wait. Okay, so um, that's the others of verse four thirteen who state peace and safety. The world's going to be all happy because we've got it figured out now. In so doing, as is common among the apostatizing liberal churches of today. They are being drawn back into being in the dark rather than remaining in the light. Exactly what Paul is warning against is exactly what they are engaging in. This is something Paul states time and again, which can happen to believers who do not actively stay awake, immerse themselves in the word, and walk according to the doctrine he lays down for us. This is what's going to happen. Um, As I was cleaning the bathrooms today, I was actually in the men's bathroom at the time, and I was thinking about uh, Mormonism you know I I don't know if you do this but I go through like conversations with somebody in my head okay this and then they give you an answer and you're trying in other words I'm trying to develop answers to people by pretending that there's a person that's asking a question okay and that's how I think issues through sometimes and so somebody is talking about Mormonism and uh, how it's wrong and my answer to that person was how do you know How do you know that Mormonism is wrong? Well, that's what my pastor told me. Well, how do you know? Maybe your pastor is deceiving you. And I'm going back and forth, trying to resolve this dilemma for this person to get this person to give an answer that, I guess I don't really know. Well, what are you gonna do about it? I don't know. Well, read your Bible. You know, and I go through these in my head all the time because there's always somebody that comes up with something that in an email that you're you know not really able to properly elucidate and answer to them, and you're like, how do I do this? And I try to preempt that by coming into conversations in my own head with a a person to give them an answer. And it always it always comes back to those words right there. Read your Bible. How am I going to answer this person? Well, here's another example. I had somebody email me. He's emailed me before. Very nice person. I am convinced that we must observe the Sabbath. How do you respond? Well, one, I'd respond, read your Bible, but immediately I send him the uh, Leviticus 23 verse 1 sermon, the Sabbath of the Lord, okay? sent that to him and I said there's about eight sermons that I have it's a very involved and complex issue and the reason why I say that isn't because it's complex for me to tell them here's what the Bible says it's complex because there are people that take what the Bible says and twist it and I know that he has now watched something that has convinced him that he needs to observe the Sabbath whether it's Seventh-day Adventist or whether it's Hebrew roots and so anything I send him they've already taken and twisted and manipulated and therefore That's where I started. If he comes back and says, Well, uh, okay, they say this and you say this, then I have something at least to start with. But if he says, You know, I'm convinced now that I have to observe the Sabbath, how do you respond to that? I have no idea what convinced him. I have no basis for, and I'm not going to send him eight sermons and say, You need to watch all of these in this order. It's just too complicated. So I send him one sermon and we'll see if he responds. But the problem with him is that he is not read his Bible, and if he's taken
0: on the plane with his sheep with him to go over to Israel, the tabernacle not there. There's
1: no tabernacle there. there. There's no sacrifices there. I mean, one step, one step, you know, and the thing is when I say read your Bible and I tell people this, they think, well, I need to go home and read the Bible and they read it and they close it and they never read it again. That is not what I mean. I am present imperative. Read your Bible and keep reading your Bible all the days of your life, because you're going to have a question like that, or like that, or like that. The three questions that we've already proposed in the first 15 minutes of the class. And if you read your Bible constantly, you will already be familiar, at least with the grounding in it. That's why the first question, uh, the John 14, the lady already knew was wrong. She just wanted to be affirmed. Is my thinking correct? And I said, yes, that's exactly right. It's not a rapture verse. She already knew the concept of Paul's having initiated it okay through the uh, I show you a mystery but if you're not reading your Bible every day you are not prepared for these things that come along. And so I, there's nothing I nothing else I can tell a person you or you or a class or a church or a group of people or the nation of America or the world. nothing I can tell them outside of read your Bible that will begin to establish them.
0: can do all things
1: through a verse out of context I I love that somebody made that up I guess and I've heard that before I can do all things with a verse taken out of context Mm -hmm. I love that I'm so glad you said that because that is what is happening in churches and that's what's happening with this poor guy that's asking about the Sabbath and I hope that he will listen and he will read his Bible and he will check because it is so absolutely clear but then you get people that question Paul well, Paul, you know, his epistles really aren't supposed to be in the Bible. Yeah, this is a big movement out there of the Hebrew roots people because Paul completely obliterates it. So they just read around Paul and they can manipulate anything else. They can pretty much twist anything. How you twist Hebrews, I don't know. It's so clear and explicit, but it's also a big book. It's complicated. And so people read it once and they think they've got their doctrine settled and they don't even realize what they just read. Here's an example of that. Tithing. You know how I am about it. I'm adamant about it, and I'll talk all day about tithing. But I had read the Bible probably, uh, this is maybe an exaggeration, okay? but we'll say 8 billion times. I'd read it a lot. okay? And one day, I was reading Deuteronomy, and I stopped. And I went back, and I read Deuteronomy 14, starting in verse 22 again, all the way down the end of the chapter. And then I read it again. And I realized it, I had been reading Deuteronomy like I said every every single week for a year, I had read the Bible and I'm probably in my second year of doing this and I'd read Deuteronomy and your brain just kind of you know when you're reading sometimes you're not really focusing because the words are so complicated or they're so many or they're you know they're not pertaining to us. I know Deuteronomy is kind of not pertaining to us and so I'm just kind of reading through. And finally, I realized what it says about tithing. It took all that time. So you can't just expect to read the Bible one time and say, okay, I've got it all figured out. You read it again and again and again, and every time you read it, you are going to glean new information. Your mind is being tuned to the the uh, frequency of God is what's happening. He's the one that wrote this. He is slowly, he's not gonna suddenly inject you with his word. That's not gonna happen. Even the smartest person on the world, on the planet is not going to grasp the Bible on the first or second or 10th read through it's not going to happen because we are dealing with the wisdom and mind of God but you are slowly tuning yourself into the proper frequency as you read the word and so I, I I can't say it enough if this world wants to get out of the trouble that it's in it needs to read the Bible it needs to accept that this is the word of God otherwise people are just lost in a sea of confusion and bad doctrine Okay, that's my, my plea to you again today, which is every week I say it. Um, uh, so we'll go on. This is then confirmed by the, did I read that? Uh, stay awake. Uh, yes. Um, okay, I'm going to read this again. This is then confirmed by the contrasting clause, but let us watch and be sober. In the next verse, Paul will use the literal example of sleeping and drinking until being drunk. After that, He will explain what that means in a moral and spiritual sense by telling us how to avoid it. We are to be calm, wakeful, circumspect, and morally grounded because of knowing and adhering to the word. In acting in this manner, we will always be ready for the Lord's coming. It will not be a moment of sad surprise when it happens, but rather a moment of joyous surprise. This is what Paul's words convey they in no wise indicate that we should be predicting the rapture but rather we are to be in constant anticipation of it big difference between the two don't predict anticipate don't predict anticipate that is what paul would ask us to do he's asking us to be sober to think on the things of the lord to walk circumspectly in his presence to apply the words of scripture to our lives in context okay in context And that is how we will be ready for the Lord's coming. How sad it is that those who predict the rapture time and again are actually in violation of this precept. To state in January that the rapture is coming in September or from one year to the next or on a date four years away or whatever would then wholly violate the intent of Paul's words. We are to be awake at all times, ever prepared for a moment which the Lord has reserved unto himself. Okay? So, we need to make sure that we understand that, is that if we're predicting the rapture, we are never going to be circumspect in the way that we should be, that Paul is describing. He's telling us about anticipation of an event. If somebody believes that event is coming on September 27th, there's no anticipation. They can do whatever they want until September 26th, and it's not going to make any difference at all. Okay? So, um, uh, just Be careful to properly apply scripture and to understand what is being told us. That's what I would recommend. Life application. What a sad and dangerous attitude it is to speculate on the day of the rapture and the subsequent unfolding timeline of the time of God's wrath upon the earth. And what an incredible waste of time it is. It is good to know the broad outline of these things, teaching them as doctrine, but it is error to specify when that outline will be executed. Let the Lord be the Lord. When we stand before him, there will be no boast that we knew what he knew about the timing of these unfolding events. It's not going to happen. I admit it from time to time that in 2005, I was certain that the rapture was going to happen, and it didn't, and I said, I am never going to do that again. I can't imagine the people that probably... Uh, read what I had uh, put out there saying, you know, I really think this might be it, and I never dogmatically claimed it, but I thought, man, look at all the things point to it. And uh, I think how many people were probably harmed by my stupid speculation. I said, I'll never do that again. It's inappropriate. What's that?
0: That's Hurricane Katrina, 2005.
1: 2005. Oh, and I remember... (laughs) and people using that saying well uh, katrina and they were taking the name katrina and where it landed and they were making all these stupid uh, that was i never got into that kind of crazy <laughs> stuff that was insane but people were and every time you have a big major disaster you'll you'll get the same thing people take words like an english word and they'll manipulate it to make it sound like a hebrew word and they'll say see this proves this and this it's terrible it just you know but those are the things i gotta tell you those are the videos that'll get lots of views They always have the advertiser running at the bottom and they're getting money every time somebody clicks on it. But uh, that's what sells. People like that. But it is not good handling of Scripture. Okay, 5-7. For those
0: who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night.
1: Okay, let me see here. I wasn't there. Yeah, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. So they changed two words. There you go. Um, they, you said get drunk at, uh, or maybe one word, are drunk at night, get, get drunk. Get drunk at night. Okay, one word. They changed one word and they got away with it. Okay, good job. Okay, so let's see here. Um, oh, 5, 7. Yes, okay. Paul now explains what those who are in darkness do with the darkness. First, they sleep. That's Paul's word, sleep. This is not to be equated, and I just said this in the last verse, but with those who have fallen asleep in the previous chapter. There, Paul is speaking metaphorically of those who have died in Christ. Here, he is speaking of those who are spiritually dead as if asleep. They live in immorality, they act contrary to the word of God, and they are unpleasing to him because of this. Okay, now, we have just defined that. They are, let me read it again, they are spiritually dead as if asleep. That's what Paul says about them. Who is he writing to?
0: Church.
1: What was the first word you said? The church. Okay, and what is the church?
0: It's bread.
1: Well, yeah, but what 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 is a believers. church? Oh, it's the believers. The believers yeah. He's writing to believers. Okay. He's telling them don't be this way, which means they can be this way, right? They're believers. He's never questioned them about their state as believers. He doesn't do it in his epistles ever. He never says, this person has lost his salvation. The closest he comes to anything even close to that, which he's not talking about a loss of salvation, is when he said that uh, Hymenaeus and uh, whatever are uh, have shipwrecked their faith, yeah. okay? But he doesn't say that they are unsaved. He by any stretch of the imagination. he If you've shipped your faith, you're basically, what this says right here, my comment was um, uh, spiritually dead. they they just, they've completely walked away. They've shipwrecked it. There's uh, nothing of value in their faith, but that does not mean that they are not saved. And people try to take that, and they say, well, shipwreck means that you are not saved. You can't equate that, and as a matter of fact, when he uh, talks about them, he talks about Satan in the same context, and then, he uses the terminology in the exact same context as talking about Satan in 1 Corinthians 5, where he says, hand the person over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved on the day of Christ Jesus. He never says that guy lost his salvation. He says that he's going he, he's shipwrecked his faith, he's shipwrecked his life, and he is going to suffer for it, but he is not lost to salvation. So if people, once again, Everything in context. You take something out of context, you will form a pretext, okay? Um, uh, So he's talking to believers, and he is saying these things. Read that verse again, 5-7.
0: For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Okay,
1: he's talking to the believers. He's saying we can do these things. Don't do these things. Not saying that we can in the sense that we are permitted. We can in a sense of not being permitted in disobedience. Okay, so don't do those things is what he's saying. But we can do those things, not permitted to do them, but we can do them. Such people in this condition sleep at night. This continues the same thought. The night is the time of darkness. The physical darkness of real night is to be compared to the spiritual darkness of those who are apart from Christ. They're doing the things which those who sleep do at the time when those who sleep do them, okay? When we go to the projects, and we are in the most dangerous part of Sarasota every single week. If you hear of a murder happening in Sarasota, it is normally, and of course people go ballistic and kill somebody, you know, anywhere in Sarasota at any given time. But if you hear of a murder on Saturday night or Friday night, the chances are very great that they will have happened within a mile of where we do our work okay that's the greatest possibility is it's within a mile many times over the past 17 years it has been on the streets that we go to somebody got shot here last night somebody drove by and shot four people here last night there was a shooting a guy got shot six times but he's okay i never understand that somebody gets shot like in the arm and he's dead And somebody else gets shot six times in the the stomach and he lives. It happens though, it's crazy how that happens. But um, I don't know if it's the caliber of the bullet or the caliber of the person, but I've actually seen that happen right on the street, uh, right before we get to the uh, boys club. The last one, now it's torn down because they're building the new projects there, but the last one, uh, a guy got, actually a girl lived in there. She was back from the Air Force on leave and she was out on the streets with a friend and she got shot and killed the same house that a person moved into that, the guy got shot six times in that house, okay? So it's very good chance that we are going to have uh, something in the area go wrong within uh, a mile or two of where we are on any given Saturday. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, it's probably down there. Okay, having said that, we walk around there and sometimes people will bring their children Okay, it hasn't happened much lately because most people's kids are all grown up now, but I used to take my children down there. Okay, we got children that live in the projects. Okay, and they're fine. All right, but we don't have any problem there. Why is that? Because it's daytime. The people that do things wrong, do them at night. And when they get done doing them, they go back in and they sleep all day. That's the type of people. So there's not the same danger in the day. And the children that live in the projects know that they are not to leave the house during the night, because if they do, there's a good chance that they could get raped, or they could get uh, kidnapped, or they could get shot, and so the children do not leave their houses. The people that do harm do so at night. They are spiritually apart from Christ, or they are Christians that have fallen away from Christ, okay, whatever. Um, It doesn't mean that those Christians are unsaved, I want to make sure I say that, okay, but this is, this is what the, Paul is equating to because he was in an area where these things happened. He knew that if he went out at night, there would be bad elements out at night and during the day, they're not out. Okay, that's the point. Uh, the physical darkness of a real night is to be compared to the spiritual darkness of those who are apart from Christ. They are doing the things which those who sleep do at the time when those who sleep do them. During the day, they don't do them. Okay, next he says, and those who get drunk. Again, Paul uses a physical example to make a spiritual analogy. A person who is drunk is incapable of right thinking. Okay, that's what alcohol does to you. It takes away your ability to think properly. Okay, it takes away your ability to deduce things. It takes away your inhibitions to not be angry or to, you know, not go off on your neighbor or whatever. Okay, Um, there is a small motel uh, right across the road and down one from where I live. It's just a little motel. And very rarely is there anything that you hear on the island where I live. I'm on a very narrow part of the island. There's no crime to be spoken of. And it's it's just residential and it's one road. So there's nothing, unless somebody just pulls into one of the houses and starts robbing them, there's really nothing going on, except at that one motel somebody will be at the motel, they're on vacation, and they'll be drinking. And boy, all of a sudden you hear arguments and you know exactly where it's coming from. Okay. Because they're on vacation, they're drinking, and then they lose their ability to think rationally. So if I hear yelling outside and sometimes it gets really bad, it's only maybe once or twice a year, but I know exactly where it is. And I know that that person will be gone in the morning. Just they're here for a night and that's that okay paul uses this example a person who is drunk is incapable of right thinking and that's what happens they are often rude here it is boisterous and so on just like the people that stay at the hotel or motel it is a real literal and physical condition which is to be taken metaphorically for those who are in a comparable spiritual state they cannot discern rightly concerning the word of god Okay, if you're not reading the word of God, you cannot discern rightly what the word of God is telling you. So back to the example from earlier. How do you know that your pastor is right about Mormons? Maybe your pastor is the one that's wrong and maybe Mormonism is right. How do you know? Unless you know what the word says and then align what your pastor is teaching or what Mormons are teaching or what Seventh-day Adventists are teaching or Universalists are teaching, you show up at a church and you're listening to somebody speak, that person is an authority within that building, and the people in that building are there because they believe him. Whether he's right or not, they accept him as an authority. They are the ones that are irresponsible if they are not reading the Bible and checking what that person says, okay? And you know, I, I, every time I give this type of a talk, I say the same thing. When Charlie says, read your Bible, he's doing that so that he wants us to feel like we can trust him. No, I want people to read the Bible so that they feel that they can trust their discernment in the word. Don't trust Charlie Garrett, don't trust, we were talking about Erwin Lutzer earlier. This is a great preacher, he's retired now, but he is a great preacher. Burke likes to watch his videos, okay? And so he's going through a series that Lutzer did right now. We were talking about that. Burke made a mistake. He thought it was four o'clock and it was only three o'clock, so he's been here for two hours with me. Yeah, so we had lots of time to talk today. Anyway, um, uh, Lutzer, how do you know if Erwin Lutzer is speaking properly or not? Unless you know the word. Everybody in his church loves his voice. He's got this wonderful voice. He sings out his Uh, uh, his sounds when he wants to make a point, he's very good at it, but that doesn't make him a great preacher, okay? What makes him a great preacher is if he adheres to the word of God. That's what makes him a great preacher and nothing else, okay? So uh, the people in his church are blessed because he is a great preacher. I don't know all of his sermons. Maybe he's taught some crazy things. You know, I, I give a recommendation for somebody and then I find out that he says something and I don't like doing that, but what I have heard of him, which is not a great deal, but what I have heard has always been spot on, okay? I will say that much about him without, you know, uh, endorsing him and saying, well, you should listen to him and blah, 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 because once I do that, it's always a bad, you know, but everything I have heard, I have been impressed with, okay? Um, So go on. They cannot discern rightly concerning the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. They are in spiritual darkness, and they are drunk, okay? Just like these rapture predictors. They don't know the Bible at all. I'm telling you, these people that you watch on YouTube that are giving out all these prophecies and all of these, you know, visions from the Lord and all that kind of stuff, do not know the Word of God. They are trusting in your lack of knowledge of the Word of God for them to be able to dupe you in what they don't know as well. That is what is going on there. They are spiritually corrupt, morally abusive, and so forth. And as he says, such people who are in this state are drunk at night. Paul again compares the life they live to being in spiritual darkness and apart from the light which comes forth from Christ. His physical examples are provided for us to make spiritual comparisons to the world around us and to discern what is right moral, honorable, and glorifying of God. That is what we should be doing. Okay, uh, question, do you like Chuck Swindoll? Yep. I do too, I've listened to him as well, not a lot, but you know, I, I don't listen to anything anymore because now the Bible just stays on all the time when I'm driving, and that's the only time that I have to listen to sermons and stuff. Uh, you know, when I'm at home, I'm always working and I can listen to short things, And but um, you know, when you drive, you can kind of assimilate sermons a little better, or at least that's me. And But I just don't anymore. But when I heard Chuck Swindoll, I was always impressed with him too. So I, I, I can say without endorsing him, I have been impressed with Chuck Swindoll. And one other that I like, although, you know, his sermons are very good, but I don't remember them being doctrinally as good as like Lutzer and Swindoll is uh, Alistair Begg. He does great sermons that are uplifting and there's nothing wrong with them. Have you do you know who I'm talking about? He's a Scottish guy and he's got the great Scottish brogue when he speaks and so I like that. But anyway, um, uh, I haven't heard anything from him either that and those were the three that were always on Moody Radio. And that's why I heard him is because I'd have it tuned to Moody Radio. And uh, but now I have the Bible just all the time. So I don't now, hear him anymore. Sir,
0: Chuck Swindoll, at nine, you can have your coffee and donuts and listen to him for
1: by nine o'clock, that's lunchtime for me. <laughs> <Take your mom's laughs> there, there's no coffee and donuts at nine o'clock, buddy. That's. <laughs> that's
0: on, that's on Moody. Is it?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nine o'clock. I'm usually at the mall still working, or just coming home from the mall. But then I've got the uh, you know I got the Bible going, and I don't want to turn that off. So. Anyway, I just I, I just love the word. Every time that I hear it, I want to hear it again. Every time I read it, I want to read it again. I just, ah. Oh.
0: The more I hear what you're saying, the more I think about Billy Graham, he always said the Bible says. The Bible
1: says. says. That's right. That's what I liked about Billy Graham when he was doing his crusades. He would always say, the Bible says. Now, you needed to check what Billy Graham said because how do you know that's what the Bible says? But he would say that. He would... Yeah always refer to scripture and that's what we need to do in our lives is refer to scripture. Okay, Paul compares the life of uh, they live to being in spiritual darkness and apart from the light which comes forth from Christ. His physical examples are provided for us to make spiritual comparisons to the world around us and to discern what is right, moral, honorable, and glorifying of God. Life application. Paul's words are to be taken both literally and in a spiritual sense in this verse. One points to real conditions, the others, the other as metaphors to those conditions. This is obvious because all people sleep at night, and there's nothing wrong with doing so. Further, not all people who get drunk do so during the night. These are general statements intended to provide spiritual applications. Careful consideration is necessary in verses like this in order to not to jump to unfounded conclusions about what is spiritually right and proper and what is spiritually improper. In other words, I just told you that when we go to the projects, there are no bad guys hanging around because they're all sleeping. They've been doing their bad stuff all night long and they're sleeping. So you can't say that everybody who sleeps, sleeps at night because there are people that sleep during the day. Um, I was on shift work for many, many years and I slept during the day, okay? And you just got used to that. I did that. Um, The best job I ever had as far as wastewater was right down the road. There was a wastewater plant if you go down Gulf Gate Drive just before you get to the library. It was in the middle of a golf golf course and I had the 2 o'clock to 10 o'clock shift. I was happier in that shift than I ever was before. I got up whenever I wanted. No clock, I just got like 10 o'clock and I go and water the plants and I go to work at two o'clock. Everybody was getting ready to leave in an hour. So they're all on their way out, I'm there. And then I worked until 10. And then when I got off, if we needed food, I went to the store because Albertsons, which isn't here anymore, but they used to be open 24 hours a day. So I do the shopping, nobody there, it was just me. And you know, it was just such a nice life. I get home after shopping And there's Star Trek on. I could watch all the old Star Trek episodes, right? And then I did the stupidest thing of my life and they had a uh, lead operator, which means running the entire plant, lead operator position. And I said, ah, you know, they didn't have one before. There was no lead operator. And they said, this plant needs a lead operator. It's a million plus uh, in size and blah, blah, blah. And so I applied for the job and I became the lead operator and I was never happy there again okay i had to deal with the people and once you have to de- you know that once you have to deal with people it ain't so fun anymore but i i really loved the job i had and i slept during the day okay i or late 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 at night into the day anyway but now that i'm doing what i do i love my time frame because three o'clock in the morning or three 30 i'm up and then you know things just kind of wind through the day properly if i was to try the two to ten shift being a preacher it would not work out okay that would not work out so um, uh, we're in verse 5 8 now but
0: since we belong to the day let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet
1: okay but let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation so there you go kind of twisted that up a little bit but uh, yeah sober would be self-controlled it would be walking properly in the Lord if you think you know if you just think of what a drunk person looks like he's like this right and we don't want to be like that in the presence of the Lord we want to have right doctrine we want to be thinking properly Um, I typed uh, speaking about that thinking properly I typed over the past three days these verses And I've stuck to the same theme in all three of them to make a point, okay? I didn't need to do this. This isn't something that you need to do in order to understand what's going on. It's down towards the bottom when you get to the life application stuff. But um, Acts 19, and it is verses, let's see here. I did uh, today, I did um, uh, 12. So I did these three verses, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 11, now God worked unusual miracle miracles by the hands of Paul. Verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Okay, so those three verses I've kept to the same theme, all right, and this is not for my benefit, because I already know what these things say, and sometimes you, you kind of forget, and so you go back and read them to refresh your mind, but it was for the benefit whoever, of whoever reads those Acts verses, is I take, which you can apply to almost anything in life, the four causes of Aristotle. Do you know what they are? Do you know? Okay. Well, that's why I did it. And so, the, Do you know what they are? The, okay.
0: Heard them, but I All right.
1: The four causes, you've got four causes of everything. You've got a um, uh, uh, material cause, you've got the formal cause, you've got the efficient cause, and you've got the final cause. The, those are the four causes, okay? And so what I did is I did that so that uh, people can think through from that. And I've done this in sermons. I did it in an Abraham sermon years ago. I did it, I think, in a Deuteronomy sermon. Now, I try to remind people of the four causes, and uh, by doing that, you will be able to think more clearly, and the reason why I'm saying this is because of not walking soberly. You're walking like this. If you are thinking clearly about an issue, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Charlie Garrett is thinking clearly, okay, but that's why I read these things is to help myself think clearly, all right? When I took the critical um, thinking course at the University up at Southern Evangelical Seminary. It was the one course I thought, I will never benefit from this. And I started into, I'm like, I don't know what these people are talking about. And by the time I was done with that, I thought every person on this planet should take critical thinking. Everybody. Everybody should take it. You learn to see where people speak up in Congress and you can sit there and you can take apart their argument and show exactly why their thinking is wrong especially with the left. I hate to say it, it's just true. They do not think clearly, okay? And when you know how to properly think, you will see these things and you'll be able to identify them, okay? But even people that take critical thinking courses will often not think critically. It's because we're not geared for it naturally. You have to reimmerse yourself, and that's why I did the four causes in three separate commentaries. Now, I'll give you just a very quick brief, I'm not gonna get into it at all, but so you can see, Aristotle said that this is a table. You've got a material cause. In this case, it's wood. Now, there are obviously other things. You've got glue and maybe some nails and whatever, but the, the material cause is wood. We'll just stick with wood. That is what makes the table. Okay. Then you've got an efficient cause. You've got something that is making it come about. Okay. The table didn't just make itself. Okay. Uh, so, you've got an efficient cause. It's the thing behind the making of the table. Oh, look at these guys. Handsome guy and a beautiful lady. You guys doing okay? Yeah, sure. Good. All right. Thank you for bringing that. Mom will be very happy. Are, something here for your mom, for, for, for Hidako? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. I love you guys. Have a nice evening. Bye bye. Okay. So, you've got an efficient cause, a material cause, you've got a formal cause, and then you have a um, final cause. All of these causes are things that pertain to this table. Here's a final cause, all right? You've got um, uh, do you want a table for eating at or do you want a side table or do you want a, right? You don't just say, okay, I'm going to build a table and you're talking to your son about building a dining table and then hand him a table for, you know, uh, uh, making models. That's not what it was. There's a final cause for making a table. And it may be the first thing you think about well I'm gonna make my wife a table they're not thinking that's the final cause but that is the final cause our dinner table at our house it's a Japanese low table I built it in 1994 okay for my wife for Christmas it actually has you know Merry Christmas carved into the bottom on 1994 and uh, so anyway I made the dinner table for her not thinking that I have a material cause, I didn't, you know, it's wood, but I'm not thinking that's a cause. But once you start to put together these causes into what it takes to make a table and how a table is made, you can now apply that to what Paul is doing in Acts chapter 19, as far as healing somebody. Because it says, let's read this again, I think it was verse 11. Okay, and this all has to do with your words. You're the one that got me started on this, buddy. So I'm not deviating. Uh, thinking clearly, walking clearly, um, uh, being in the the right thinking about the things of God. I think it was verse 11. Yeah, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. Okay, verse 12. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Okay, who is doing the miracles? The Lord. God. God worked unusual miracles. God is the efficient cause. He is the the one that is making it happen. But there is a material cause. What is the material cause? The
0: handkerchiefs, and the, the handkerchiefs and the aprons.
1: Okay, yes, that's correct. The handkerchief and the apron is the material cause. All right? And then the formal cause, the thing that brings it about. Devil. No, the formal cause is Paul. He's using Paul. Even Paul, Paul—it's his handkerchief and his apron that he uses for working. He probably wiped off his sweat. So Paul is the one that is being used. What is that doing? It is validating Paul's ministry. Paul's not even going there. They took him from him to heal the people. But you've got an efficient cause, you've got a material cause, you've got a formal cause, and you've got the final cause. What is the final cause of every? miracle in the Bible and every miracle in all of recorded history. What is the final cause? If it's a true miracle, to bring glory to God. Everything in this book, the final cause, ultimately is to bring glory to God. That's why he sent Jesus, is to bring glory to himself. That's why he gives grace, is because it glorifies him. If we have to earn our way to heaven, there's no glory for God. Zero. We did the work. The final cause is always the glory of God. And you can deduce that works-based salvation is out based on that. Okay? The final cause of our salvation is the glory of God. Therefore, it must be eternal. Because if it's not, God did not get the glory from the salvation in the first place. Got that? Okay. I don't want to go on that too far, but read the commentaries when they come out. It'll be about 17 days, I think, because I'm a little head now. I've been doing a couple extra every day. But um, you asked about that, and uh, what verse are we in? Seven or eight? We're in eight. Okay. So you asked about right living and thinking clearly. You can't do that unless you are willing to put the causes in their proper place as far as the ultimate cause, the final cause, the glory of God if that is like i said when i started that table i'm not thinking the final cause is a dinner table but that is exactly what it was if i said i'm going to build a dinner table and i start cutting wood for a side table i'm not going to have a dinner table right so everything else has to meet that final cause that is what we're doing when we're reading the bible when we're studying the bible the final cause is always to be the glory of God. Okay, Um, and I may have blown that a little bit because I'm not sitting here thinking about causes until Burke said that. So if I said one of the causes wrong, I apologize, but I think I got them all right. Okay, Um, Paul, using the metaphor of those who get drunk are drunk at night from the previous verse, now contrast that with the expected life of the believer. He says, but let those who are of the day be sober. Okay, if you are drunk, you're not going to be able to make a table properly. If you're drunk, you're not going to be able to rightly deduce the word of God. You're not going to be able to conduct yourself properly. And that doesn't mean you're literally drunk. It means that you're not in the word. You're not prepared for the challenge that comes before you because you haven't been reading the word. You haven't been pursuing the things of God. Or you've been in a church where they tell you they're telling you the word of God, and they're not. They're manipulating it okay? The final cause is the glory of God. If you are in a Hebrew Roots Movement church, the final cause is not the glory of God. It is self-glory. I am doing this thing to obtain God's favor. That is not fitting the final cause. And you can know that just by thinking of the four causes and always, always the final cause in scripture is the glory of God. If it is not, then you are not in the right context, whether it's the church or whether it's the doctrine or the Bible class or whatever. The glory of God must be the final cause. Okay, so um, as noted, getting drunk is equated with a spiritually immoral condition. Paul doesn't say that we cannot be in such a state. I mentioned that in the last verse as well. Rather, he exhorts that we should be otherwise. He's writing to say, believers. He's not telling them that you can't do these things. Of course you can do those things. I can go out and get as drunk as I want. That's not going to change anything, okay? Except it's going to harm my walk before the Lord. And so I need to think clearly. That's not the right thing for me to do. I'm going to be circumspect in how I conduct my affairs, okay? Paul doesn't, uh, rather, he exhorts that we should be otherwise. Christians are to have a complete break, with the life attitude and conduct of those who have not come to Christ. Now, I just said that, and before I go on, we are supposed to have a, read that again, and I'll take you to something that I don't want to confuse people. Christians are to have a complete break with the life attitude and conduct of those who have not come to Christ. But does that mean that we are to remove ourselves from people who have not come to Christ? No. Absolutely. You c- correct 100%. I will read it to you so that you can uh, see that because somebody will inevitably ask that question. I Paul says that we need to have a uh, change. We need to not walk in this manner. Well, I need to get away from the people that walk in this manner. Here's what he says about that. He says, um, I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner not even to eat with such a person because that person is not following the advice here in Thessalonians however for what have I to do with judging those who are outside do, uh, wait a minute, yes um, do you not judge those who are inside, but those who are outside, God judges I, you know, I skipped the first part which I wanted to write you I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. This is 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. Then he brought in the second half of it, okay? He does not tell you you can't hang around with your old friends. He does not tell you that you cannot hang around with people that do things that are not right. As a matter of fact, if you have a job at a regular company, you wouldn't be working there if that was the case if none of them were saved because they'd all be that way. He never tells you not to be around such people. He does tell you not to be around such people that say that they are believers. If they say that and you're with them, then you are condoning their lifestyle. That's why he does that. But having what I just said... You don't have to take yourself away from the people of the world that act that way, but you need to take yourself away from the life attitude and conduct of those people. You need to act circumspectly in front of them to be an example to them, not to participate with them. And so when a brother is acting that way, all he's doing is affirming their unregenerate lifestyle. Okay? And then you, hanging out with him, are affirming his unregenerate lifestyle, which is already affirming the unbeliever's unregenerate lifestyle. So Paul is saying, do not do that. In order to accomplish this, he next gives two more metaphors to guide us. First, he says, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. The words putting on give the idea of vigilance. When you put on a garment, you know, uh, uh, for war, what the breastplate or the helmet, that's for vigilance. If you're not putting it on, you're not being vigilant because you're going into battle, okay? So, it's vigilance. Um, let's see here, where was I? Um, okay, the guard puts on his gear in anticipation of that which is to come. Remember, uh, uh, four weeks ago, I think it was, when I said that the Washington uh, uh, police just before january 6 took away all of what oh yeah their yeah, helmets right. their helmets the riot gear, riot stuff, gear. Yeah. just before january 6 they said well maybe it expired and so they they have no idea why they did because it wasn't the normal chain of command that did it that they had people take away these people's riot gear especially the helmets for no reason they weren't given any explanation and they were not asked to give receipts there was no and this is right. This is in the news. This isn't conspiracy. This is right in the news. Okay. So those people were not able to be vigilant because they didn't have the riot gear. Okay. The Lord is not going to do that to us. He is not going to treat us that way. The Lord is going to give us everything we need in his word to be vigilant. So if we are not, that is our problem. It's not his problem. Okay. So adorned in these things, the gear that the guard puts on, is then to watch paul says watch the guard is to watch why the reason is because he doesn't know the times and the seasons mentioned by paul in verse 5 1. we're vigilant we've got our gear ready we're living the life that we should be living but we're to watch if we know that the rapture is going to be in 2027 january what do we have to be vigilant about we don't need to be we know it's coming we absolutely have to not worry about a thing oh yeah it's coming That's not what Paul teaches. He teaches that we need to be vigilant and watch because we have no idea when it's going to happen. The guard is to stand ready at all times, not be asleep, not be asleep at night, nor get drunk at night. The breastplate of faith and love is a protection. In Ephesians 6, Paul exhorted believers there to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In our watchful state, we are to have defensive protection, which is based upon who we are in Jesus Christ. Faith is our strong defense against the weight. It may be a long time. It may be a time of trial and persecution. It may be a weight which encompasses an entire life of ill health or disability. And if we don't have faith and we don't keep that faith strong, then we don't have anything to fall back on. Imagine that. Somebody like great example. I use her all the time because she's so easy to fit into these type of circumstances is Johnny Erickson Tata. 17 years old, jumps off a dock, breaks her neck, and I may have the details wrong, you know, the age or exactly how she did it, but she was swimming, she broke her neck. She is incapacitated. She cannot do anything for the rest of her life, and so far it's been a pretty long life. I assume she's in her 60s by now, okay? If she didn't have her faith with her, what a miserable existence that would be and what a hopeless existence it would be for her husband and her children as they have to sit there and listen to her moan and whine. But she doesn't because she's grounded in Jesus Christ and she's able to say, I have a better hope than this life. But if you don't have that and you've got all these troubles in life, you're just pulling on your face and pulling on your hair and you're just miserable, miserable about everything. And that's not a way to live, okay? Bad things happen in a fallen world. We don't all have good health. We don't all have Charlie Garrett's good looks. It's a joke, folks. I know that. Um, But there are times where we need to have our faith as grounded as possible. And for some people, it has to be all the time. All right? But this will read it to you again now. In our watchful state, we are to have defensive protection, which is based upon who we are in Christ. Faith is our strong defense against the weight. It may be a long time. It may be a time of trial and persecution. We've got the folks that are in Pakistan right now, and we don't know what they're gonna to face tomorrow. We have no idea, as you said, that is the big country in the world. There's a couple others that are imp- on par with it, but there are not many that are as uh, unfavorable to Christianity as there. And all it takes is somebody to just say, well, you know, he, he blasphemed Allah, and it doesn't even have to be true. That one poor lady, I don't even know what happened to her, but she was over there for years in prison waiting to be executed because somebody said she blasphemed Allah. Why would she even bother? She's a Christian. She did not need to worry about false God, you know. Anyway, you got to have faith. If you don't have faith, when those times of trial come, you're just going to walk away and you're going to just be miserable. But we are to defend against the attacks of the world with faith. When we stand in God's goodness and upon his word, we will be able to endure whatever blows we may face. Okay, I got an article coming up in Sunday's uh, report, unless it gets preempted by something in the next two days. But um, uh, it's a guy, I won't give his name or the substance of the article, because if I do, then you'll sleep through that. and I don't want you to. But uh, he talks about the state of the world and he equates it to the state of the world during World War II. And I'm talking about the Christian world. Okay. Where are you gonna where are you gonna align yourself when the powers that be come against you? I've talked about this before, maybe a, one or two months ago. But are you a person of faith so strong that you're willing to speak out against what is wrong? Okay? Well, I'm not even going to take it that deep, or this guy doesn't. It's just about the state of the country and what you should be doing about it, all right? It's a great article. I had to cut it way down because it was like five miles long, and I need to just give enough to give people a little inspiration to actually get off their uh, seats and act. But anyway, uh, I totally agreed with it, and I don't even know who the guy is. I didn't look him up, so he might be a Calvinist for all I know, but his words in this article are very good. Okay, added to that is love. Paul's discourse concerning love in 1 Corinthians 13, along with his many other references to it, can teach us how to handle this. Should uh, can teach us how this should be realized in each of us. Okay. Suffice it to say that this is love of God and of man, and it is love from God and from man. We are to live in the state of love in order to protect ourselves from whatever attacks we may face. Finally, Paul says, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul retains the same metaphor that he used in Ephesians 6. The helmet, both there and here, is one of salvation. A helmet is used to protect one's head. It is to guard us in our thoughts, in our knowledge, and in our understanding. As it is a helmet of salvation... It is one intended to keep us from falling into idleness, despair, loss of the knowledge we already possess, and so on. In other words, I am saved. I understand that I'm saved. I understand that that means God has forgiven me. I understand that that means God has been graceful to me. I understand all of these things, and because of that, and because I understand that the glory of God is the final cause of everything concerning this, then my salvation must be eternal. And I am going to stand on that as I'm going to have it as a helmet of salvation. It's going to guard me and all of the times when things are going bad, when the world is dark around me and I'm frustrated and I'm angry, I'm going to hold to the fact that there is something better, that there is the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ. Despite my other feelings that are raging in me, I'm not going to lose that hope. When we have a hope, we are not to let it become diminished. Instead, we are to retain that hope, reflect on it, and be encouraged by it. In so doing, we will not be as one who sleeps at night or as one who gets drunk at night. Instead, we will be sober and alert at all times. Once again, he is using real physical applications to teach us real spiritual truths, okay? So he's not speaking specifically about you not getting drunk or you uh, sleeping at night. He is speaking in a spiritual sense, using those things as applications, okay? You are not to be drunk in your spiritual state. You're not to sleep uh, during the day in your spiritual state. That's what he's talking about. He's taking these things that we should know because we see how they operate in the world around us. And he's saying, live this way in Christ okay, life application oh, we're just we're just on time life application faith, love, and hope are all things that we are exhorted to possess and we should possess them in abundance even to overflowing if we stand in this way and stand means to be firm in your convictions then we will be able to overcome despair and from getting sucked into the ways of the world once again Christ is coming We don't know when that will occur, and therefore, we need to stand ready at all times. If we don't do these things, our walk will falter, and we will become ineffective soldiers in the church. That's all there is to it. There's no way to get away from that. We will be ineffective in what we are doing. We're going to be ineffective as uh, Christian. Who was it? We were talking about somebody and uh, what great parents they must have been to uh, uh, raise their children that way. Was that... We were, Lutzer, Lutzer. Oh, Lutzer. Okay, uh, Lutzer. He, what was it? You said that by the time he was a certain age, he had memorized the book of Ephesians? Oh,
0: yeah, yeah, like
1: 14. 14 years old, he had memorized the book of Ephesians. That did not come about by sloppy parenting. That came about by parents that really cared that he would be a man of God.
0: Well, that's not the only one he did, that's, that's what the only book. That's book and he read.
1: well I understand I'm just saying I'm you know they were preparing Lutzer for who he would be as a person right. okay and uh, Lutzer uh, this is Burke I, I'm citing Burke so if it's not correct go blame him but he was saying that Lutzer wrote a lot of books and his mother did not read all of the books he had written he had she was more worried about reading the Bible so uh, if the book reading of her son, what he had writ written, interfered with her Bible time, she didn't read her son's book. That is a person that understands the importance of the Word of God. So there you go, good stuff from uh, life lesson from Erwin Lutzer. Light, huh?
0: You've been missing light all the time. John chapter one. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and so does uh, one John speaks about light all the time yeah. light and you yeah, if you're in the light you're not walking in the darkness absolutely Heavenly Father we are so grateful to you for your word it gives us a sense of hope until the day that we are reunited with you and Lord I just would pray for the people that listen to these uh, these uh, classes and sermons from this church that they would really say I want to read the Bible I'm not just gonna listen to these sermons and agree with them and then not do that thing it's their responsibility and it will be their joy as they continue to read it and read it and continue to read it Lord please instill this in all the people that attend this church and even those that don't if they listen to these that they would understand the importance of getting into the word and Lord help me in my own failings of not reading it enough and not reflecting on it enough and May we all just come to the great spiritual awareness of what your word says because it is what tells us of Jesus, and Jesus is who reveals you to us. Thank you, oh God, for this. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. amen. All right, we'll say goodbye now, and then we'll wave to you in a second. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're going to go to break. Overcome,